The Old Testament reading for today is from uh, Leviticus. Please be seated. It's from Leviticus 15, and I want to mention that this is because it relates to our New Testament text. It focuses on uh, uncleanness of women, but notice in the context there's also uncleanness of men, so we're not uh, going to be picking on women anyway. But I want you to know this relates to our text. Reading from Leviticus chapter 15, uh, quite uh, pertinent for the text in Matthew 9 today. Hear the word of the Lord. If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, all the days of the discharge she shall continue in uncleanness. As in the days of her impurity, she shall be unclean. Every bed on which she lies, all the days of her discharge, shall be to her as the bed of her impurity. And everything on which she sits shall be unclean, as in the uncleanness of her menstrual impurity. And whoever touches these things shall be unclean, shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. But if she is cleansed of her discharge, she shall count for herself seven days, and after that she shall be clean. And on the eighth day she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons and bring them to the priest to the entrance of the tent of meeting. And the priest shall use one for a sin offering, the other for a burnt offering. The priest shall make atonement for her before the Lord for her unclean discharge. Thus she shall keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle that is in their midst. It sends the reading of the Lord's holy word. Turn now to Matthew chapter 9 in the New Testament. We continue to... Um, work through chapter 9 together in our morning service. We'll be reading from verses 18 through 26. Hear the word of the Lord. While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died. Come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went through all that district. Since the reading of God's holy word, the grass withers, and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, as we approach your holy word now, we pray that the meditations of our hearts, the words of my mouth, might be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For we approach this word as the word of life given to us by our Trinitarian God. Thank you for it, and bless us and hear our prayer. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. We are still in transition. If we had been reading Matthew 8 and 9, it would only take a few minutes. 
But it's been several months because we're going slowly and it's something that we want to work through carefully. But just so you know, in a sense, when I was working with this, I thought, this just seems like things I've already preached on. How do I make it new? A very silly thought. <laughs> my job is not to, to bring new stuff to you. It's to preach this word. That's my job. It's very clear, very simple. That's what I do, is to bring you this word of God. I, do, I present the text, the whole text, and nothing but the text. That's my job. So if it seems like it's similar to things you've heard before, it's because this text is doing that. And it's very important for us to recognize that and to appreciate it. So that's what we'll do, and I'll point that out to you as we go along. Notice here in verse 18, it opens and says, while he was saying these things. So he had been just talking about the cloth patch uh, that may tear a repair in a, in a other piece of cloth, or the wineskins, you'll recall we uh, dealt with that last week, the wineskins, you don't put new wine in old wineskins. Uh, so that's what he's talking about. That's, it says, when he was saying these things, that's what he had been saying, uh, when a ruler came in and knelt before him. So Matthew has clearly linked what's happening here in verse 18 with what has gone before. So we see this just um, unfolding quickly. Uh, and in a sense, in, in our, the echo in our mind is what Jesus had told us just a little bit earlier when he said that God desires mercy and not sacrifice. Well, here is the Lord Jesus displaying his mercy. Notice he is tireless in extending mercy. It says in verse 18, as he was saying these things, so he didn't even get a chance to stop speaking and get a, get a break. Instead, the ruler came in, knelt before him, and then it then it says in verse 19, so he arose and followed him. There's no break. Jesus is tireless in extending mercy to the people who ask mercy of him and who are desperate for help. And that's what we have here. Now, this is an interesting text for a number of reasons. Uh, when you look at the Mark and Luke parallels, it has the same structure. Uh, and uh, there was a uh, famous, you know, one that, that uh, was famous in the uh, New Testament scholarship, a famous article written by a man on the Mark version of this in particular and other places in Mark called the Markin Sandwiches. Um, so this is a Markin sandwich. It's a sandwich. And what I mean, what he meant by that, and, and I, I think he's absolutely right, it's very helpful. And that is, you'll notice that the ruler comes in and wants Jesus to come and uh, put his hands on his daughter who's just died. Jesus gets up to do that, but on the way, you have this second episode of the woman with the flow of blood. Then, after that, you get the account of Jesus interacting with the dead girl. So you have the two pieces of bread, the dead girl episode, and then the filling in the middle. 
uh, and that's this woman with the flow of blood. And the reason why we have this structure is the two episodes uh, explain one another. They're interrelated. So our authors are Matthew, Mark, and Luke are all. Not only did it happen that way, but and they're free to you know change things around and present it topically if they wanted to. But they're telling us these episodes are interlocked, like a sandwich. It's one thing. This is why you're getting a sermon on both of these episodes. I'm not splitting them into two sermons, and that's important. So let's talk about the bread, okay? Let's talk about this girl and the ruler and his daughter. So Matthew says, a ruler came in and knelt before him. In Mark and Luke, well, Mark, we're told this is a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler in the synagogue. Matthew doesn't say that. So when we have a different gospel saying a little bit, something a little different, when you're looking at Matthew and his account, you want to you want to think to yourself, why does, he knows that, he could have said that, why does he put it the way he wants? In part, it's because of what he, the way he says it. Um, the way he says it is similar to what he said about the scribe earlier in chapter 8, verse 19. There he said, a scribe, just one of them, because this is 8.19, because there were other scribes, what? but just one came. Same here. He has the same statement, the same form is used. And it's, it is a little unusual, by the way. It's not the way you normally say this in the original. He says, a ruler, just one of them. Just one ruler came up. There were other rulers. But this one came to acknowledge Jesus and ask for his help. Just one of them. And Matthew wants to underline that because the rulers in Israel will be doing something later in Matthew, right? Crucifying our Lord. But at least one of them has a need and comes to Jesus because of that. And notice Jesus does not discriminate. He knows what's going to happen to him. He knows the hearts of all these people, and he does not discriminate. He is, he is perfectly willing to help people in their time of need. You come to Jesus in time of need, he hears you. That's what he's displaying to us. He drops what he's doing, and he gets up to follow you and to take care of you. This is, this is the nature of our Lord. This is his character. He doesn't ignore you. He doesn't say, I have other things to do. I have to go rest. He, he stops what he's doing, and he follows. He didn't discriminate or hesitate. Now we look at the daughter. This daughter, we're told in the Gospel of Luke, is 12 years old. That means she's not married. I think the King James says she's a damsel. I kind of like that. It sounds like a fairy tale, but she's a damsel. It just means she's not married yet. She's 12. But the marriage age in the ancient world was, on average, 14 to 16 for girls. That's, that's a fact. 14 years old to 16 years old. If you're 18 years old in the ancient world, it probably means you're not going to get married as a woman. Um, and... We'll talk more about that later, but here she's not married. She's a girl still, uh, and the precious daughter of this ruler. So Jesus does follow, 
And we're going to skip over the filling of our sandwich and go to the end of the episode, verses 23 to 25. Now Jesus comes in 23. He goes to the ruler's house, and he's still in the courtyard. And there's this big commotion. And he declares, the girl's not dead, she's just sleeping. Well, the ruler had said, come and put your hand on her because she's just died. Now, brothers and sisters... In the ancient world, there are no funeral homes. The families take care of their dead. These people know death when they see it. On average, 50% of children die before the age of six in the ancient world. They have seen death before it. They know what it looks like. And this girl had died. And Jesus comes in. He doesn't even look at her. He just walks into the courtyard and he says, oh, she hasn't died, she's just sleeping. And and of course they laugh at her, laugh at Jesus, they laugh at him. We know what we're doing. We've seen her, she's dead. Kind of an interesting thing, right? To laugh at Jesus? (laughs) Now that we know who he is? They didn't know who he was. They didn't know what he was going to do. But he walked in and he declared this because he knew what he would do. How did he know that she was just sleeping? Because he knew what he would do. Brothers and sisters, these are professional mourners. This ruler, you know, is an important guy in his town. He's He's a very important figure. And for people like that, the professional mourners that had these back then would have given a discount. But notice what it says in our verse to indicate that. It says in verse uh, 23, he saw the flute players and the commotion. So the, the professional mourners, they have these flutes going on, and they give a certain cry, a loud cry, wailing for the dead as a way to console and commiserate the family who have just lost this precious daughter. So this is, you know, they're not paid a lot, but this is what they do. They go around and they they are professional mourners, uh, particularly the flute players. Uh, and so there's there's these are professionals who are mourning. They know death when they see it. And so then what, Je- what does Jesus do? He says, Go away, for the girl is not dead but sleeping. They laugh at him. Now here's what he does in verse 25. But when the crowd had been put outside, it actually is the same term for casting out demons. (laughs) Jesus cast them out. He basically puts them out. He says, you have no place here. Brothers and sisters, death has no place here because he has arrived to bring life. He cast them out. This is what Jesus is up to and why he knows she's just sleeping. He knows what he's going to do. He came to bring life and to bring it abundantly. And here he's going to demonstrate that to us. This is testimony from Jesus to us. He is testifying to us that he came to bring life. And if you belong to him, he has you in mind when he did this. He had his people in mind who would face death, walking through the valley of the shadow of death. 
You will not fear because here is your great shepherd. That's what Jesus is doing here. This is why he's doing this, as well as his compassion upon this ruler and the family for this young girl. So what does he do? The man, the ruler, had said, lay your hand on her. We've seen this already several times, where Jesus is eager to put his hand on people as a way to show his personal touch, that he's not just abstractly performing a magic trick, because there were a lot of people performing magic tricks, whether they were successful or not, attempting to do things through magic and incantations and certain spells. They would have smoke, uh, all sorts of potions. Uh, This was going on in their day. And Jesus doesn't do that. He walks in, and, and look what happens. He took her by the hand, verse 25. He takes her by the hand. This is a daughter whom he is going to lift up from the dead by taking her by the hand, personally, as the great shepherd, leading her out of death. He is going to walk her out of that. And as the man had asked, he's going to put his hand on her and kindly lead her out of the shadow of death. And he raises her up. And brothers and sisters, we need to remember this because Matthew 11 is coming. It's going to be a while, but Matthew 11 is coming. And when we get there, this is going to be an important thing that uh, Jesus will point back to, to John the Baptist when he asked whether he is the man to come or should we expect somebody else. Jesus will point to this episode and the other things in chapters 8 and 9. This is why they are so important. It's demonstration of who he is and what he's up to. Even when people, uh, even people who should know better, uh, have their doubts about whether Jesus is doing the right thing. But now we go to the middle. In the middle of our sandwich, and this is uh, this woman in verses 20 through 22 this woman who has this discharge of blood. And now you know why I read Leviticus 15. Think back on that Leviticus 15. This is the law that governed the people at that time. She couldn't go into the temple. She couldn't go into the, even the outer court. She was unclean. For 12 years, she had this flow of blood. She was unclean for those 12 years. And if this started when she was a girl, which is quite probable, she was probably 25, 26 years old. This is not an older woman, a woman. This is somebody in middle age, 25, 26, middle age. Uh, I, I can point to ancient women who had three kids by that age. But she is a, uh, we would say young woman, who suffered for a good deal of her life, maybe even half of her life with this affliction, and has been prevented from going to the temple. Look at all the procedures and all the rigor that she could not uh, be cleansed until that was over with. So she comes up, and she wants to touch the hem of his garment. Possibly, it's all she could reach. I want you to think about somebody who has that kind of affliction for 12 years. 
particularly with the ancient diet. Meat was rare. You had to have a sacrifice to eat meat, and it was rare, relatively rare. Uh, they ate bread, olive oil, and wine, and in that area, because this is around the Sea of Galilee, dried fish. But anemia, because of low iron, lack of red meat, was common back then, and that has implications. Spontaneous abortion, pneumonia, emphysema, bronchitis, and then, of course, you have malaria in this Galilee area, which is endemic because of all the mosquitoes. This is a, this is a very serious illness. This woman probably had, was uh, in bed most of the time. And you're thinking, yeah, well, you know, that, that's quite probable. I, I, I'm sorry this is kind of personal, but uh, my uh, grandmother was in bed for two years after giving birth to my mother. This was in the 1920s. Uh, so health services were probably very similar to, at the time of this woman where my grandmother was. This, is, this happens in the ancient world. Uh, and this woman probably can only reach the hem of his garment because she's probably on the ground or crawling to see Jesus. She's crawling to see Jesus. And she says, if I just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be saved. Our rendering, the English Standard Version says, I will be made well. And that's, that's good. I mean, that's a, certainly a meaning of this term. But the term appears three times. It, it, it has this kind of connotation of I'll be saved. It's the same word rendered saved elsewhere. I'll be delivered from this. That's how you should think of it. I'll be delivered from all this affliction. Uh, and then Jesus says, your faith has delivered you. And then it says, and she was delivered. It's the same word repeated three times. Three times we hear this echo of she's going to be delivered by the Savior, saved by the Savior. What does Jesus' name mean? Pointing back again, Matthew 1. He will save his people from their sins. And here he's demonstrating that one more time. That's Matthew 1, uh, 21. So what we have here, brothers and sisters, is more than raising and cleansing. This is Jesus showing that he came into the world to bring life from the dead. This is the gospel to us today. Our, this was written down at his command, that we would have a record of this on the other side of the world 2,000 years later, that we could see our Savior before our eyes in all of his glory and compassion. This is what he did, and this is why he uh, commanded that this be written down and preserved through, through all these ages that we may have it. Because Jesus came to seek and save the lost then, and now, our Savior is still a Savior. The power of the kingdom is now. This is what Pentecost shows us infallibly. He has sent his Spirit, poured him out, that he might bring in the lost. And he's going to show us that that's his concern over and over and as we go forward at the end of chapter 9. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see that here. You see the people who are mourning. You see the, the poor in spirit, this woman 
And Jesus declares, people like this, people who know their need and come to me, I will grant the kingdom of heaven, and that is the new creation. I will grant them eternal life in the presence of God and new bodies transformed, never to be corrupted again in resurrection glory to be with me. And then he tells us in Revelation 3.21, to the one who conquers, I will grant to him to sit on my throne as my Father has granted me to sit on his throne. He just told you you're going to sit in the same throne he's seated on, and he's seated on his Father's throne. We're going to be with our Lord forever in a rare, privileged place. This is what he came to bring, life and life abundantly for his people. Will he do that for you? Come and put your hand on my daughter. She's just died. Put your hand on my daughter and she will live. He got up and he followed. He got up and he followed. He didn't care that they laughed at him. He got up and he followed and he said, she's not dead, she's just sleeping. This is our hope. This is our great gospel, and this is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, what a rare thing it is to see these things. It's amazing how kindly you deal with people. How tiresome we can be. You were not overwhelmed. O oh Lord, when you came into the world, Son of God, you tirelessly served your people. You did not come to lord it over us, but to serve us, to demonstrate your kindness as our great shepherd. And we thank you. Grant, O oh Lord, in the days when we grow faint and weak, you will likewise be with us and hold our hand. And that day approaches, O Lord, when we approach the shadows of death. Hold our hand, O Lord, and comfort us. For you are our rock and our redeemer. You are our great shepherd who has been through the valley of the shadow himself and has triumphed over death that we may live. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.